sorry. Uh, have you ever had something not go to plan? We've all had that, right? Where, you know, something's come up, completely changed everything about your plans. This week I'd planned to come in and get a few things sorted for the summer fun days, but on Monday it tested positive to COVID. Yay! So there goes my plans for the week, but at least the cricket was on, so I enjoyed that. Um, but a few years ago, after just eight months, uh, we had built a new house in Frankston. After uh, eight months later, we decided that we'd go out and accept an invitation out for lunch with friends one Sunday morning. And so uh, we went to church, we came home, changed, put a load of washing on, and then went out to spend the day with friends. And so we had a lovely time, wonderful time catching up with friends over lunch. And we were out for, the, for over four hours. And uh, we came home, and as we were walking into the house from the garage, Kelly goes, why is the floor wet? And our top loader washing machine had just kept on filling up for four and a half hours straight on full bore. There was an inch of water across the entire floor service of our brand new house. And so that changed our plans. I'd not long started a new job, and so I had to call up and say, hey, I won't be there tomorrow because my house has been destroyed. And so that night we spent ripping up floorboards because they'd all swirled and everything and went to bed at 1am and had people coming in and dry it all out. $50,000 of damage was done. Thank goodness for insurance. Um, but that, that um, changed our plans. I remember actually a long time ago now, I was a buyer in, uh, in a retail company in Tasmania and my boss came into work one day and he said to one of my colleagues, go home, pack a bag, you're on a flight in three hours to China for a week. Like, no, no notice, just, no, we need you there, you've got to go. Um, so interesting change of plans. Have you ever had something come up that has completely changed your plans? Well, for Jonah, he had such an interesting encounter that changed his plans considerably. And as we begin 2023, we might have wonderful plans set out about what we're going to do this year. Places will go, people will see, things we will accomplish. Or maybe even after the last couple of years, you've decided not to make any plans. Just nothing, like no hopes, and then we'll be surprised. But I want to take a moment as we begin this new year today to remind us all that God has a plan and purpose for us too. And to ask, are we listening to him? As a church, our vision is to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel to the northeast, waiting for God's timing in it all while actively participating in that pursuit. And what's so vitally important is that we do listen to God and follow his leading. You know, as a church and as families and as individuals, it's really important that we do this for this year ahead. And I believe Jonah is going to help us in that endeavour today. So if you've got your Bibles out, we're going to go through all of the entire book of Jonah in one week, one Sunday, one sermon. Don't worry if you've got lunch plans, you'll still get them on time, all right? Jonah 1 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God was asking Jonah, 
to travel some 500 miles to the greatest city in the then known world, Nineveh. This pagan city was known for its grandeur and degeneracy. At this time, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Lying on the east side of the Tigris River, this great city had 1,200 towers, each 200 feet high, and its wall was 100 feet high, and of such breadth that three chariots could drive on the top of these walls abreast. It was 60 miles in circumference, this wall, and could within it grow enough corn for its population of some 600,000 people. In the city was a magnificent palace with courts and walls covering more than 100 acres. Its gates were guarded by huge lions and bulls sculpted in stone. Its doors were of ebony and cypress encrusted with iron, silver and ivory. Hanging gardens were filled with rich plants and rare animals. And God said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, yes, that Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, when you or I are given a task to complete that, that changes our plans, we usually go along with the flow and make do. We make do when disaster strikes. We make do when our boss tells us what to do. We make do when we're ill. We make do. And most of us would say that we would be faithful to follow what God calls us to do. But what does Jonah do? Well, he flees. Verse 3, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, that's a bit drastic, isn't it? He flees. Now, if we were to flee something, it would usually be because of impending danger or harm, like a tree falling on us, an angry emu chasing us, or a crazy out-of-control car, but Jonah flees from God. Twice we're told this in just one verse. And to make the point even more clear, we're told three times that he's fleeing to Tarshish. Now, I had to look at a map and see where Tarshish is and where Nineveh is and where Jonah was. So Jonah was here in Joppa and he was told to go to Nineveh And instead he goes all the way over here to Tarshish. He could not have actually fled any further in the opposite direction if possible. Like there was no other way. That was the very edge of the then known world. And so instead of going just a short trip to Nineveh, he takes the longest trip to the furthest extremity of the known world away from Nineveh. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So I find it really interesting that the sailors are more spiritual than Jonah. The sailors, they're praying and hurling the cargo overboard 
and they're terrified, calling out to the gods. And here is Jonah, he's sleeping. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? Verse 9, it says, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So here these sailors are, fearing for their lives, and they had been praying to all the gods that they knew. They'd been praying left, right, and centre to anything that they could think of. And then they find out that Jonah is their problem and indeed God is causing their problems because of Jonah's disobedience. They row hard and try to get to shore. They try everything in their power to save Jonah's life but to no avail. Jonah tells them to throw him overboard. And so these sailors pray to God to ask them to grant them mercy for throwing Jonah into the sea and once they have, the storm subsides, they fear the Lord, they offer sacrifices and make vows and they make commitments to God. I find that amazing that this encounter with this storm and Jonah causes them to worship God. And Jonah then spends the next 72 hours in the belly of this great fish and in chapter 2 we see Jonah pray a prayer of sincere repentance. He recounts this near-death experience of almost drowning in the sea and how God had saved his life and now gives thanks to God and com commits to doing God's will. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, we read this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And in parallel to chapter 1, chapter 3 begins in the same way, highlighting the contrast between Jonah's initial unfaithful response to flee and what he does now. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Then the Lord said, word, word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He's learned his lesson according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, Jonah gets through the gates on the wall, those massive big walls, and he walks an entire day into the city and proclaims their impending doom. He uses the same Hebrew word that describes the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah and is basically heralding a message that they would be destroyed in 40 days. And very importantly, Jonah actually wants them to be destroyed in 40 days. He does not call them to repent. No, no, no. He just tells them that they will be destroyed. But look at the response of the Ninevites in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth 
and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They believe the word of God and repent. After just one day of preaching about their impending doom, the people humble themselves and repent. And this was city-wide repentance. From the king to the beggar, this whole great city repented. This city which alone held more than the entire population of Tasmania repented in one day. And upon seeing their response, God relented and spared the city of Nineveh. Now, after this, you would think that Jonah would be happy, right? I mean, he proclaimed the message of their impending destruction that actually listened to him and repented. As a preacher, I wish my messages were as effective as Jonah's. The job of a prophet completed with exceptional, almost unheralded results. That would be a job well done, I would say, but not so for Jonah. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. See, Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. He didn't want God to be gracious to them, to be merciful towards them, to display love and relent from bringing disaster upon them. So Jonah, in rather drastic move, he asked God to kill him because death is a better option than living if God was going to spare Nineveh. Does, is, is he a bit of a drama queen, though, Jonah? I reckon... Oh, I'm so upset that I was so effective in my preaching and that they listened to you and now you're going to save them. Oh, just kill me. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. And he goes out of the city to the east, to the mountain, and he makes camp, right? Because this man oversaw the city of Nineveh. And so he's gone there to make camp to wait for it to be destroyed. He still wants it to be destroyed. He's sitting there basically waiting for it, hoping it will occur. And this is the first clue after Jonah's initial repentance and trip to Nineveh that his heart was still not completely right with God. You know, one can do the will of God without doing it with the right attitude. Let me say that again. One can do the will of God without doing it with the right attitude. And that's the focus of the remainder of the book. So we read this in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
So God makes this plant grow that shades Jonah from the intense Mesopotamian sun. And this is the only time that we read that Jonah was happy. And why? Because he was physically comfortable. He wasn't happy because he'd been effective in what God had called him to do. He was happy because he was comfortable. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again and said, it is better for me to die than to live. It's really interesting to note throughout the book of Jonah, God appointed the great wind He appointed the fish, he appointed the plant, he appointed the worm, and he appointed this great heat. Before Jonah asked God to kill him because he wasn't happy with God's will, and now he asked God to kill him again because he isn't happy with his circumstances, all of which were God's doing. How often is that us? God sends challenging circumstances our way. It all gets too much. We look for relief and and how we might be able to change our circumstances to be comfortable. Yet God is taking us through these challenges for his plans and purposes. Maybe we need to look up from our circumstances to try and see the hand of God at work in our lives, to see what he is appointing in our lives. And so both now in Jonah's anger at the plant's demise and during his anger over God's sparing of the Ninevites, God questions his anger. And that is, in fact, the climax of the book of Jonah. When God challenges Jonah to recognize how wrong he has been in his bitter nationalism, he was a proud Israelite, a member of the chosen nation of God, and how right God has been to show compassion towards the plight of the Assyrians in Nineveh. And so through verses 10 and 11, God reveals to Jonah how out of harmony with his own heart the prophet, though obedient, was. God contrasts Jonah's attitude with his own. In verse 10 he says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And that's where the book ends. It's a really strange way to end a book, isn't it? God asking a question. We are not told of Jonah's response. And in a large part, it doesn't matter how Jonah responds. What matters is our response and our heart. You see, the book of Jonah is pretty much a commentary on the failings of the nation of Israel. In Genesis 12, when God made a covenant with Abraham, God shows us his amazing nature, his inclusive will, his missional heart. He would make Abraham into a great nation and would bless that nation so that nation would be a blessing and that in that nation all families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Isaiah 42 verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and will keep you, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Israel was to be a light to the nations. Their very existence was to point people to God, to make God known among the nations. And and we can think of examples where this came gloriously close. The Queen of Sheba under Solomon's uh, reign is the closest that they came. God had risen Israel to be a light to the Gentiles, a missional nation. Yet they had grown insular and proud. The book of Jonah was a reminder to Israel of her missional purpose and of God's missional heart. The book of Jonah is a solid illustration of how Israel had failed to respond to their calling. So how are we going at responding to God's calling on our lives? How have we become insular and proud? Or are we being a light to the nations? Are we happy with everything the way it is because we are comfortable? Or does God have something in store for us that might change our plans? Are we prepared to listen to the call of God and respond with a heart willing to align with God's? Are we prepared to step out of our comfort zones for God? You see, we can easily respond like Jonah. We can flee, run in the opposite direction, ignore God and his calling. Or we could do the right thing with the wrong motivation and attitude. You know, like when your boss at work asks you to do something and you're like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. but I'm not going to enjoy it. And you're not going to be happy while I'm doing it. Like we can do the right thing, but with the wrong attitude and motivation. And that certainly doesn't glorify God, does it, really? Or we could also complain. We could whinge about what God is doing for other people and, and complain what is not doing. Where's my blessing? Or we can align our heart with God's missional heart and work together and work hard to see God's purposes in our own lives and in our church fulfilled. Maybe we need God to send us a great wind to move us forward. Maybe we need God to send us a great fish to take us where he wants us. Maybe we need God to send us a worm to bite through our comfort zones. Maybe we need God to send us a scorching wind to fire us up so that we choose to die to ourselves and instead live for Christ and his purposes. So how are you going to respond today? How are you going to respond in this year ahead? I know that if you have the time, if you take the time right now, God will stir something within you. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he will bring something to mind. So let's do that. Let's ask him to bring something to our immediate attention now. Lord, please speak to each of us right now and bring to the front of our mind one thing that you want us to do, one thing that you want us to deal with today. You know, maybe it's an area of pride. 
Maybe it's an area of habitual sin he wants us to stop. Maybe it's a relationship he wants us to mend. Maybe it's to respond to what he has been calling us to do, but we've been ignoring. Maybe it's something that we've been fleeing from. Maybe it's something that we've been doing, but doing it with the wrong motivation and the wrong attitude. You know, well, today is the day to start moving forward. Today is the day that God is sending his scorching wind to fire us up to fulfil his plans and purposes. So if God's brought something to mind today, and I think he's brought something to each of our minds, don't just ignore it. Don't wait to deal with it. See, we often make these things called New Year's resolutions. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but what I am big on is making commitments with God to be better, to do better, to honour him more, to bring him more glory in my life, to respond in faithful obedience to God. And so that is something I'd ask us to do. What is that one thing that we can make, that commitment to do something to what God has brought to our minds. And, you know, there's something physically we can do now. And it's about taking that physical response, not just the quiet mental ascent inside, but doing something physically, just planting that seed. And so I'm not going to ask you to do something very simple. If you want to commit to, to to changing that one thing that God's brought to mind and maybe that starts a whole new pattern of change in your life, I just want you to stand when we pray to say, yes, I'm going to say yes to God. I'm going to do that thing that you've asked me to do. I'm physically going to make a change in my comfortable position from seating to standing and that is going to be a commitment to say, yes, I am going to change. I am going to address the thing you've brought to my mind that the Holy Spirit has placed in my heart, I'm going to work on that. So let me pray, and while we pray, if that is you today, then as I pray, just stand where you are currently sitting, and that's between you and God. Let's pray. Almighty God, I ask that you send a worm to move us out of our comfort zones. God, I ask that you send that scorching wind to fire us up. God, send that fish to take us where you want to be, where you want us to be. God, send that mighty wind to move us forward. God, send whatever it takes to get us to align our plans with yours. God, move us. Fire us up. Take us where you want us. Move us forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus Christ. Today we say yes to you. Bless us as we respond in obedience to you today. And may you take this seed of obedience that has been planted here today and grow a mighty work in us and in the lives of each person here today. And Lord, I pray a special blessing upon each person here for the year ahead. Lord, may this be a year of fruitfulness, of obedience, of resting in you, of bringing new glory, and may you use us to bring the hope of the gospel in our workplaces, our schools, our families, 
our community groups. Lord, use us to bring the hope of the gospel to the northeast, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to con uh, conclude our service this morning.